Uh, I'm going to introduce uh, the speaker for this morning. Uh, I've known Ron Yerudia, I think it was, as I was thinking, about 12 years now. Um, we first met back when Harborside was a portable church over in Countryside High School. And uh, this one morning, uh, after the morning service, I met Ron. I still remember we were surrounded by lockers. And uh, we were talking a little bit, and he just kind of shared a little bit where he was. And what's interesting is that particular Sunday, our pastor wasn't speaking, and I was speaking, and he still came back after that. So uh, good, good, to, good to see that. But over the years, as I've got to know Ron a little bit, uh, there's really some characteristics that seem to rise to the forefront. Um, he's, he's just a passionate guy, um, and he loves to help people. Uh, he has really grasped a a real Christian Christ-like out- outlook for helping those who really are in need. And he'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. And the way I've seen that executed over the past uh, you know, number of years is really in a few tangible uh, areas. First of all, uh, way back when we started Celebrate Recovery, he was very influential in really getting this ministry off the ground and getting it some legs uh, to really develop into a, what it is now. And over the years, he's been very uh, instrumental in helping men, women, and teens uh, really get their lives back together. I mean, it's just been phenomenal to see how God has taken his passion and his desire to help people and given it some legs and given it some reality uh, in his life. And beyond that, I've seen it also in his passion for, uh, for missions, specifically his passion for missions when it comes to uh, the country of Nicaragua and our own missionary down there, which is Brenda Rose. And uh, he early on was uh, um, kind of apprenticed by uh, another individual who has uh, gone on before us. And uh, he kind of took the reins there. And over the past few years, he's led uh, our mission trips down to Nicaragua. He's had one coming up uh, this uh, this uh, this summer. And again, it's just the reality of God giving him opportunities to take those passions, those gifts, those desires that he has, and really not just talk about them, but really put some action behind him. And if you know Ron, he's an action-oriented guy. He's going to make it happen. And even though he lives in, uh, where do you live now? North Carolina, South Carolina, somewhere, Franklin, North Carolina. Uh, left us a couple of years ago. He's still very heavily involved at Harborside. So he's been around here for a, a number of years, uh, just had been very influential with a number of people over the years. So this morning, uh, I'd just like to have you help me welcome Ron Yerudi up here this morning. Good job. Good job. Thank you. I don't know if this turned, it's turned on. <laughs> you know, when somebody's, introduces you like that, a lot of things go through your head like, really? Me? No. Oh my gosh. So I'm finished. See ya. (laughs) Thank you. There's a couple of things I wanted to cover today, and I'm going to share with you my testimony that I've shared in Celebrate Recovery for years. Um, It's the basis of why I want to give you a message that I hope leaves you with the understanding that the whole key to who we are and what we are is being a servant. And once you're a good servant, you almost automatically become a leader. And that's really what the message is today. And and I just hope you stick with me. I stumble sometimes when I'm talking. I have a script here that's about 50 pages long. (laughs) Hopefully I'll forget about it and move on to what I know better. But I'm going to start off with a story. 
Um, I'm going to pick on the Hittites because to be politically correct, you can't pick on any ethnic group, and there are no more Hittites. It's been proven. So this Hittite priest, Father Murphy, has a good friend named Finney. And uh, Finney's got a drinking problem, and Father Murphy says, uh, Finney, you know, you've got a big problem, and uh, you came to church drunk today. I'd like you to meet me by the river after church. So they meet by the river, and Father Murphy wades out in the middle of the river, and he's about waist deep, and he asks Finney to come out. And Finney comes out. He grabs Finney by the neck, and he sticks him under the water, holds him there till he almost drowns, pulls him up. He says, have you found Jesus? He says, no, Father, I haven't. Sticks him back in there again, pulls him up. How about now? Have you found Jesus yet? No, Father. Sticks him one more time, pulls him up. Have you found Jesus? He says, no, Father. You sure he fell in here? Oh, and by the way, Mike, Tim Abbey, probably looking at turkeys, thinking they walk like a duck and talk like a duck, but they are turkeys. They're turkey hunting. And I have you know he got lost taking uh, the general up there <laughs> because he couldn't see real well, and they got off the wrong exit. And one other thing before I jump into this, Nicaragua is my heartfelt um, area of service because... We have somebody there from our church who is a heartfelt servant, and that's Brenda Rose, and she does monumental work. And we owe it to her to keep her in our prayers, our prayers, and to help her every way we can for what she's doing, which is a mighty work that we should all be doing, and we all do in our own little way. And hopefully today when we're finished, I'll give you a little inspiration of why I think it's the, the way to go. Family ministry, I'm kind of surprised when Mike said how many guys are going, you know, one hand. We're having at Franklin Covenant Church, which is a really neat church, uh, just to give you an idea, it's non-denominational, it's 100 people on a good day, and uh, it's part Pentecostal and part Baptist, but they're non-denominational. Now, if you understand those two uh, religiosities and you're a Catholic-based kid, it's terrifying. (laughs) But I'm learning to live with it because I don't want to ask, I don't want to be asked by the Lord, why did you laugh at them? I'm going to say I wasn't laughing, sir. really wasn't. If you pray with me just for a second, as I ask the Holy Spirit to hold on to what I'm trying to say and hopefully make it make sense to you guys. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of all your miracles. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glory shines. And that comes out of Psalm 24, or 26, 4, 8. A year ago, I had a blessing of addressing the same group uh, a lot of different faces here, which is neat because now I can tell a different part of the story and nobody will hold me accountable to it. This gathering is what I consider the, the basis for leadership. Um, you're a line of men that are ready to be servants and understanding the importance of knowing how to serve in order to lead. And I hope when I finish we understand why we need to be leaders and servants. I'd like to say not much has changed since April 20, 2015. In fact, a lot has changed, but little does change. What doesn't change, you and I represent God's chosen. We are the leaders. We are the servants. They sang in a song just now, 10,000 Reasons. If you do the math and you live to 70, you get to screw up about 135 times a year. And you get to screw up because the Lord came and sent his son, and his son died for us. Because if you looked at the rules that were in the old covenant, you you couldn't keep up with it. 
every one of the commandments, as you all know, has so many parts to it that you're going to screw up day by day, minute by minute. So your deal is not to get hung up with that. Your deal is to accept the fact for 10,000 reasons and forevermore that you're guaranteed a place in heaven. And shame on us if we don't share that vision, that message, that sacrifice with everybody around us. It's like I, lo- I love the saying by, uh, that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It's my favorite saying. It's preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. That's a very powerful comment, and you have the opportunity to do that minute by minute. The guy sitting around you may or may not understand what that means, so you have an opportunity to help them. And that's some of the things that we need to do, because we're, we're failing miserably as a, as a people, as a, I don't want to, you want to call it religion a religion, but as followers of Christ, we're failing, because there's too much of the nation going down the tubes, as we all know. There's no more morality. They're taking God away from the country. Those things happen because we let it happen, and we let it happen because we're not executing. And the way you execute is you become a servant. A servant is a leader in God's uh, economy. So, does a servant really have the resources to pass anything on? And do I live a life of a redeemed person? Am I born again? Am I a child of God? That was guaranteed by the cross. All good leaders will tell you you cannot lead unless you can follow And when you follow, you serve. And we all serve the greatest leader of all time, and he has asked us to lead. What I hope to share today is how I never planned to serve in this way as I stand before you. In my past life, my leadership skills could help you understand today is a good day to die. There was a purpose and an order in what we were prepared to do and what we were prepared to sacrifice. And many of you guys have done that, and I thank you for your service. And I also thank the people who allowed us to serve with honor because you are here supporting that effort for us. But now my leadership skills are used for a much different goal and a much different reward. There is a much more, there's a much more important battle going on right now. And you have to understand there is an enemy. And uh, he deals in a, in a place that is very uh, subtle but very vulnerable, and that's inside us. Because he knows the word. He knows everything that we need to know about sinning, and he uses all of that to create this environment which becomes a battle zone. And if you're not prepared for it, if you don't think of it that way, you're not going to be able to serve in the right way because you're going to be protecting yourself all the time instead of moving out and going after what you need to go after, and that is to bring everybody else with you as we serve a good Lord. Anyway, but now my leadership skills are used for the much more important battle. The evidence is glaring on a national level in a world lacking morality, and a country distancing itself from God, a people who don't know how to love one another, an angry persona that is prevalent. But first, let me share, share with you the reason I feel confident that my true DNA was not what I thought it was for, some 37 years of worldly existence. I now know I was in training to make my true DNA mature, the DNA that God plants in each of us, the one that tells us not only why we experience guilt and shame, but the DNA which is the basis to revel in God's grace, which is undeserved, the amazing grace. And look at the person next to you and say, you have that DNA. Go ahead. You serve a king who loves you. Why is that important? Because we are given a simple task by that great leader. But what stops us from seizing the initiative? What stops us from exercising the relatively simple mission? I'm going to go back to some great writers of military tactics in history. One is Carl von Clausewitz. And if you're a mariner, 
you know how important his idea of warfare was. There's one statement that always jumped out at me. The compulsion which we must use towards our enemy will be regulated by the proportions of our own and his political demands. Now, you change political into faith. Same thing. Sun Tzu, which everybody I think knows, Sun Tzu is a great study because it talks about warfare. But if you use it in life, it also gives you some pretty good ideas how to deal with life. Not as good as the Beatitudes, but it still works. And it's interesting that Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu addresses leadership in the context of the consummate military commander. He must be an exemplary person, a Shinzu, and must ply his military skills from a foundation of superior character. His efficacy is a function of his cultivated humanity rather than any specific set of skills. And what he's talking about there, if you really think about it, is being a servant again. It's serving what you know best that will make everybody serve with you. There is a correlation, or is there? What is cultivated humanity? What are the equivalent political demands, good and evil? Does superior character, a cultivated humanity, give us the edge? And what is the basis of that culture? Now I'm going to use some analogies that hopefully we as good Christian men, followers of Christ, might understand. I like to go and look at King David and what he thought about all those elements of Sun Tzu and Karl Wunsch. What was Moses? Was he a warrior? Did they share those same kinds of thoughts when they were serving? What was Joshua thinking when he was told to march around the walls? Did Gideon feel confident when the original size of his army, or did he feel more confident with the smaller one? What do those leaders have in common? They knew who they served, and he knew them, and he knew where he was placing them. Do we have the power that was guaranteed that we would inherit if we accepted and believed? It's a really simple concept. If we accept and believe everything that the cross stood for, we should be confident because you cannot mess up if you're a good servant. It's just that simple. But it makes it too simple, and we make it too hard. Because we go out in a way, and I had an interesting conversation with uh, Stephen this, this morning. You knock on a door, and you lead with the person who opens the door with what? Or do you walk and let the person come to you because he sees the walk? See how the difference is between making it easy and making it hard on yourself? Leaders know how to motivate. They win your hearts and control your mind. And how? Why do people look up to leaders? What is it a leader does that make others want to? Why don't they see that? And I love this. We get to. In our world and what we're doing and what I'm talking about is we get to do this. We were given the tools. We were given all the authority. We have the, the moral equivalency that we need or whatever you want to call it. We have the skills. All we have to do is accept the fact that the Lord gave them to us and he gave us the Holy Spirit to make sure that we know what they are. And that takes just a little bit of discipline. That takes a little bit of um, family, um, what is it called? Yeah, that. Yeah, that. Family thing that's going to happen. All right, as a grandfather, as a father, uh, as a brother, I look around and I say, how do I let that happen? Our church right now back in Franklin is doing the same thing. It's kind of intuitive that we're doing it at the same time. But now I'm sitting here and I'm condemning myself because I never encouraged anybody around me. Why don't you go there? Because all of a sudden it's a tax. Now I have to do something with what I learned. Yeah, you do. You got to do something with what you learn. We are 
in most cases, uh, the patriarchs of our family. Um, we are, if nothing else, fathers, brothers. We are, if nothing else, followers of Christ. We are, if nothing else, the people who are asked by the Lord to bring other people with us. So that's what this message is going to be all about. And it's going to end real quick because then I'm going to move into my testimony to prove to you why we serve a good Lord and what he is willing to allow you to do and then what he will do for you when it comes time for you to accept the fact that you serve him. And this is where I'm going to go right into my testimony because I don't need this for my testimony. I've done it enough. At CR, we start off, hi, my name is Ron. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with alcoholism. Uh, Alcoholism was a great front for all the other stuff that I was going on in my life. I used alcoholism as my crutch because when I went to talk about how I got saved and how I got fixed and how the Lord saved me, it was about alcoholism. But then as I matured and I kept on going and I kept on staying down that path, I realized alcoholism was just the front door. There was a whole bunch of stuff behind me. And then I got smarter. I looked at CR for what it was, and it's the same thing as AA, NA, DASA, whatever you want to call it. They're all written by the same set of rules, the Beatitudes. And I like telling people that Christ in the Sermon of the Mount did not come down to say, I got some great ideas for you alcoholics. Or I got some great ideas for you sex addicts or you guys that gamble. He didn't say that. What he said is, I got ways for you to deal with the pain that you're going to struggle with in life. If you follow these simple rules, you'll be able to attack anything that's attacking you. That's how simple it is. Anyway, my fear is uh, what made me come to celebrate recovery. I had a fear of God. I didn't really know God. I didn't have any uh, respect for anything other than what I was doing at the time. And I was full of myself, i got to tell you. I, I, I went to uh, 24 years in the Navy. I started off enlisted. Some people know what my first name was in, uh, in the Navy boot camp. It was Seaman. My second name was Urine because I couldn't say Urudia. So for 16 weeks I went to Seaman Urine. That's funny, guys. Come on. It also taught me a little humility right from the start. Well, I go through my Navy career. I'm not planning nothing. I'm just going step by step. And now I'm feeling, okay, well, I know what I'm doing because I'm getting along. I got commissioned. I got a field commission when I was chief in E-7. And I eventually retired as lieutenant commander. So I felt like, man, I'm good. I don't need nothing. So I kept on going down that path where I don't need nothing. I get out of the business of the military, and I go on to the civilian side of the business. And I created a company, did real well. Once again, no reason why I ain't good. Why do I need anybody else? But then, like most people, there comes a time when you realize there's something really missing. Uh, you're not getting anywhere. Whatever toys you bought, whether junk's in your trunk, whatever, uh, there's something missing. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. So my rock bottom, which you hear if you talk to anybody who's decided to give up what it is they were doing to a higher power, and in my case, uh, Jesus Christ, it came... 13 years, 4 months, and 16 days ago. That's how important that day was. Because that day, after being a functional alcoholic to a full-blown alcoholic, and what I mean is I went through my whole career in the Navy not being able to have a drink. If I was going to a bar, I was going to drink more than one. Later in my life, it became I need to go to the bar and have a drink. Then, my last year of my life, it was I need to leave at 4 o'clock, and if you get on my way on McMullen Booth, I'm going to be angry. And then get to the bar, and this is where life really turns ugly, because you think, in my case, I'm a happy drunk. I, was, I loved everybody. I thought everybody loved me. All I wanted to do was love me. I thought my family was happy because I gave them everything they need. So using that mantra, I went from that place 
in my life where I didn't really care what anybody else thought. And I, my wife, who's my best friend, who prayed for me to get help rather than for her to get out of the situation she was in. Still my best friend. She prayed and prayed and prayed. And one day, without any warning, without any compulsion at all, I'm sitting on a corner of Alderman and 19. I'm trying to make this real to you guys because it happens. And I looked up through the wind, uh, what is that one? And I, I'm looking at the light, and I said, you know, God, I can't stop. I reached out to God. I know there's a God. I need you to do something. You be very careful when you ask God to do something. Because that night, my wife had the police over, and I found out that my child, my daughter, was terrified of me and was, in her mind, being abused mentally. So I had to back out. The cops said, you need to stay away for a while, blah, blah, blah. Had charges put up against me. I packed the stuff that I needed to live and went to a motel. But on the way to the motel, I stopped at the bar, the same bar that I've been going to all this time. And this is when God finally got a hold of me. Because as I pulled into the bar with everything I needed to live for the next however long it was going to be, I realized that God had gotten my attention. And I asked him to do that. So I backed out, and I went and found a hotel. Then the next part of the story is easy. Then I say, okay, uh, God got my attention. Let me get close to God. So I did what I tried to do many times in my life. I pulled out a Bible, and I started reading Genesis. And I got about halfway through Genesis and said, I'm not getting anything. So I called my, my wife, and I said, I really want to get my life in order. I got the Bible out. I'm not getting anywhere. She says, talk to my mom. She wasn't really talking to me at that time. <laughs> she says, talk to my mom, who was a missionary, the most judgmental woman I know in my life. But I needed that at the time. <laughs> and she says, Ron, go to John. And i got to tell you, for the next two weeks, I was on my knees praying, reading John, and coming to tears, coming to grips with the fact of what the Lord was willing to accept out of my life and turn it around if I wanted to, and he has, how he proved it by putting his son on the cross because of all the stuff I had done. And that's what I needed. And from that point on, it was easy. I, I'm, on my, I'm on a roll now. So I get out of the motel, go get a better place to live, still a motel, a nicer motel. And uh, I remember saying, now i got to go to church. So you remember the first question I asked God was get my attention. The second question I asked God was at that church. John just told you, I mean, uh, Jonathan just told you about it. I walked into Countryside High School where they were meeting at the time. Um, I walked in, I looked around, and I was terrified. I said, oh, my gosh, now I'm in the middle of a church with a bunch of people who are good. And I ain't. I'm afraid. So I said, God, I need some help. And I went in, I sat down in the auditorium. And remember, I said I was Catholic. Up till then, I was not a practicing Catholic, but I was Catholic. So I'm used to kneeling down, standing up, you know, that kind of stuff. We're just getting into hugging each other. That was new, too, at the time. Anyway, I'm sitting there in the pew, and, or the, the uh, thing, and I, I really want to leave. I'm, I'm afraid. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of nothing, but I'm afraid of that situation I was in at the time. And I, I remember saying, Lord, I, I, need, I need to be here. I don't want to be here. Help me. The first song they sing was open the eyes to my heart, Lord. And by the time that song was finished, I was bawling again. So I'm two for two now. Two times I asked God for help, two times. And by the way, when I left, Jonathan was standing there and said, hi, my name's Ron. He looked important. He looked awful young. He says, yeah, I'm Jonathan. I said, what do you do? He says, I'm an elder. I said, you're not old enough. <laughs> to this day, I look at Jonathan thinking, he wasn't old enough to be an elder, but now I understand what an elder really is. So now I'm at the point where I'm starting to get on a roll. I really want to make things work well. Uh, I've gone to church. 
they moved into this neat building. I'm going along with them. And I was going to AA, and I love AA because it, it gets you focused, especially if you have no faith in anything. They'll let you find the fact that you've got to give something away, that is, what's inside of you, to something else, something much higher power than you are. But here I am going to church. I'm feeling the Lord. I know my job. I want to be a servant. And I start telling people about Jesus as my higher power. And they start telling me that you can't preach in an AA meeting. And I got upset. That's when I found out that alcoholism was hiding the anger and the meanness and all the other stuff that I had in me. So I went and I called my wife. I said, I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to stop going to AA because I can't take it. I'm going to get in a fight. I'm going to hurt somebody. So she says, well, pray about it. That's her answer for everything. Pray on it. And she does. She said, pray on it, as a matter of fact. I forgot that part. So in New York, we never prayed on anything. We prayed for things. But I remember praying on it. And that Sunday, and you know, this is happening Thursday. Sunday, I walk into Harborside, and they announced that they wanted to start a faith-based uh, program for recovery. I, locked and loaded. I'm ready for that. And that's how Celebrate Recovery started. I was accepted because I had the credentials to prove as a felon, as a warrior, and as an alcoholic, I could do the job. And uh, this is the new part of the story, and I, I love that he's here, because if it wasn't for Kurt's uh, support of the program, it wouldn't have got to where it got. But I'm told that I've got to go to um, the summit, which is in uh, Forest Hills, California, Saddleback Church. They're the originators of uh, Celebrate Recovery. And I remember all the time on the plane, I'm going to meet this outreach pastor who's coming from somewhere. And the word pastor got stuck in my head. I've been doing real good being Ron and hanging out with people that I felt comfortable around. I did not want to hang out with a pastor for the next 72 hours. It was Kurt. This is my third prayer. <laughs> I'm standing by the statue of John Wayne, and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, we're two for two. I really would like it if this guy came and he was really relaxed, you know, like, and I said this, flip-flops, shorts, something like that. Who comes around a corner, flip-flops and shorts? Kurt Parker. Then we went and got a Coke, and he complained about how much the Cokes cost. I remember that part. <laughs> so I'm painting a picture of who I'm starting to be now. But, and this is where I'm going to get right off. I'm going to go off script completely now. Celebrate recovery, the program, the things I do. I've learned further and further as I go down my walk. It's all about grace. It's all about accepting the grace. It's all about learning how to love yourself. Because if you know how to love yourself, then you can love God. And God can love you the way he wants to. And then you have those tools that I was talking about. When you want to be a servant, you want to be a leader, accept that. Allow that to happen. There's no tax to it. You don't have to do anything. You have to learn that you're doing things out of gratitude and thanks. And when you really get it is when you think about the 10,000 reasons, where you can screw up that many times during the day and don't have to worry about it because he's taking care of it. Then you transition to that part where it says, you know, I really want to please you because I can't believe what you've done for me. And that's when you can get away from everything else and become the servant. That's when you get to do what you're supposed to do. That's when life becomes better. Doesn't mean you're there all the time. I still get to points in my life where I'm walking down the line and I realize how an ugly person I can be at any given moment. And some guys can identify with this. If you have been an alcoholic, you have nightmares about drinking again. So I know that that's there. But remember I said it wasn't about the alcoholism. 
It was about all the other stuff. And if I spend too much time worrying about how am I going to defeat all that other stuff, I'm doing it wrong. What I got to do is accept the fact I'm doing it for him. And if I stay focused on that, what people don't understand initially, but they get to learn to understand, is he rewards you in ways you are not smart enough to ask about. The things that you pray for aren't as important as the things he gives you. And the more he gives you, the more you get into that, this is really cool and I'm going to stay here. And that's what a servant's all about. If there's nothing else that you get out of me sharing how screwed up my life has been and how good it is now, it's get the fact that you get to be a servant. It's that easy. You've got all the tools. You've got gifts the Holy Spirit's given you. You might not know what they are, but he'll let you know what they are when the time comes. All you've got to do is walk the line. All you've got to do is every time you do something, pray. I don't care what it is. You can go to the racetrack and bet on a horse, pray. I don't recommend that. I'm just trying to throw a little levity into it. But you get where I'm going with all this? It's all about that. It's all about your relationship with Christ. Read and study a little bit of the Old Testament. I love the, the message I heard a couple weeks ago where we do a great job of accepting the fact that we're redeemed in the cross and the grace that comes with it, but you don't get a good feel for it. You don't understand it unless you understood what the Old Testament was all about, about all the pain and suffering that they suffered for all along and made all these rules and all to find out that they could never keep up. The Ten Commandments were there to prove that you can't keep up, not to follow them, to prove that you can't. So that when the new covenant started, you understand why it was so important. Because you understood how hard it was to do that, leave that alone. You don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is worry about staying in lockstep and in faith with your higher power, which should be Jesus Christ. Develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the whole key. I've gone way off script. (laughs) Anyway, let me go back and see where I left off here. Oh. When you're talking about your life and you're talking about how you got screwed up, that's the other part. We need to talk about that. Uh, I've told you how uh, I got to be an alcoholic, but I didn't tell you why I thought I got to be an alcoholic. They tell you to go back and research what it is that's pain in your life. What is it that causes you to go to where you go? And when I started going to AA meetings, I couldn't figure it out. So I used to pick other people's testimonies. I like that. I'm going to use that. That's how screwed up I was. I used somebody else's testimony. And I put it into my heart. But then I started getting it. I said, okay, well, I know what it is. There was something about my childhood that I was screwed up in. I was the oldest of 10 kids. We grew up in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City, Brooklyn. So I said, that's my problem. I was raising my brothers and sisters because I was the oldest. But then after a while, I realized, no, that wasn't so bad because an older kid in charge of nine kids, we had pandemonium and we had fun. So I couldn't really blame it on that. That really wasn't. I, my childhood was not stolen from me. I have a very solid relationship with all my siblings right now because of that. So then I said, okay, I know what it was. I was in the Met system when I was just out of high school, and I was playing in Florida at the time, and I was going to spring training. I had a week to kill. I called my dad, who was a New York dock worker at the time. I said, Dad, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to spring training. He said, no, you're not. You're coming home because I've been out of work for two months, and I need help. In those days, you said, yes, sir. And I went home, so I said, that's what it was. I was angry because I never got to follow through with my dream. But then I realized, no, that's not important because that dream, that anger, that run away from home took me to the Navy. I said, okay, well, I can't use that anymore. And the Navy was really good to me. But there was things that I did in the Navy that that were very painful sometimes to revisit between the Vietnam War and the stuff I did after that. And then I said, that's what it is. It's the pain of what I had to do on behalf of my country. 
but it's still pain. And then I realized it wasn't that either. And I came to grips with the fact that I did not know how to love myself. Now, I'm not sure what that means today. What does love yourself mean? What it means is that you're comfortable with who you are and what you are, but that comfort comes from you having a relationship with Christ. So it's almost backwards. In order for me to get to a place where I wanted to go in the first place, I had to get to a place where I wound up at when I could have gone there in the first place. So loving yourself is nothing more than allowing God to love you the way he wants to. Allow that you're fat, you're tall, you're short, you're bald, you're old, your knees hurt, you're young, you got too many kids. I don't care what it is. Accept it that it's God's plan for something good for you. And do something with it. Serve him. Somehow you can get to where you want to get. So, bottom line was I learned how to love myself. And in the, in, in the process of doing all that, I learned that when Christ talked to Paul and asked him, uh, how is it that you persecute me? Why, why do you persecute me? And I realized that that's what I was doing. I was persecuting God the whole time I was doing what I was doing. So you have a choice. As men of Harborside at this breakfast this morning, you can make a decision right now how you want to continue from here on in. I mean, it's up to you and Christ. You can right now erase the board that you see behind you and move on to the board that you want to go to. You don't have to justify it with anybody except the Lord. And he, he makes it easy. I mean, how else can he prove it other than send his son to the cross for what we do? So, I know I need to practice. Uh, one of the ways I practice is I hang out with Christian men. And I have to because I know what I'll do if I don't. And I need the influence, I need the opportunity, I need the relationship. And if you don't have that, start thinking about doing it, because it'll change your life. Iron sharpest iron, so man spends countenance of his friend. That's Proverbs, and we know what that means. So, whatever you're practicing, if you like where you are, stay there. If you don't like where you are, change. If you want it to get better, make sure that change or where you are has Christ in it. So, that's really what I got. And I hope you guys accept what I have. I, I hope you realize that, um, as Kurt used to say when he brought me up to the front, if God can f- forgive Ron, he can forgive anybody. And it's not about... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not about anything more than having a good relationship with your father and using a son who tries to prove to you every day, in every way in everything that happens in your life, that he loves you. Um, I don't know how close I am to being on time or off time. Uh, Anybody got any questions about Nicaragua, about Celebrate Recovery, or about my life? Keep them. (laughs) I'll be sitting right over here. I'll be glad to talk to you, and I thank you guys.